Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Fantasy Football Frenzy. We're back here on Fantasy Football Frenzy on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Kevin Walsh alongside George Kurtz. Got my man Sean Angle uh, downstairs on the ones and twos. We're, uh, we're going over the AFC East right now. We had a big uh, AFC East preview on the morning show, and we kind of carried that in here to Fantasy Football Frenzy because there are a lot of questions to be answered around this AFC East, even if you say the division is not exciting in terms of uh, how it's going to look because we know the Pats are going to win it, and we know uh, that the other three teams would be big surprises to make the playoffs, which I would agree with all of that. I think there are still, especially fantasy-wise, a lot of questions to be answered. No team represents that uh, better to me, George, than the Miami Dolphins. They are a football team that plays in Miami, and that is about the extent of what I can guarantee you for this team. And it all starts at the top of Ryan Tannehill. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I got to be honest. That's kind of the sentiment. Uh, I see that you have him ranked as the 28th quarterback. Totally get that. And I, I, I said to Mike earlier today, uh, you know, I know for for a guy like yourself who likes to wait on quarterback, just like Mike does, um, you know, you usually have your guys, right? The guys that you're angling in the later rounds. Say, oh man, I can grab him, I can grab him. It was not that long ago that Tannehill was one of those guys that everybody was expecting the big breakthrough, and people were were, oh, here comes the breakout, here comes the breakout. I think it was after a lot of that 2014 season where he threw for uh, 4,000 yards, or even in the 2015 season, he threw for 4,200. Just then he got the injury. You know, 2016 was really brutal for him. He's back now. I mean, what what are the expectations for a, a guy like Ryan Tannehill? Certainly not high. I mean, certainly not. Ten, I'm, but... I'm a little surprised they brought him back. Okay. Uh, as far as uh, with, with the contract and all that, we've never really seen anything all that great out of him. Keeps getting hurt now, and. I mean, you look at his overall numbers. All right, the accuracy is okay. You know, 67% in 16, 62 in 15. Those are okay. Uh, he's thrown for over 4,000 yards twice. Interception rate, the touchdowns, not very good. Somewhere around 2 to 1. Uh, that's not the greatest uh, of all. He's had problems with the deep ball, right? His accuracy on the deep ball hasn't been good. Uh, when Mike Wallace was there, if you ever watched the tape of uh, Wallace and Tannehill, this is all on Tannehill. Wallace would be open by yards. I mean, in, in NFL terms, he was wide open. And yet, Tannehill couldn't get the ball, get on the ball. It didn't work out, you know, I guess, for, for whatever reason. I was surprised they didn't move on from him. You know, you keep him at the contract he is, and you keep, you know, in my mind, you keep beating uh, your head against the wall, hoping for a different result. I don't know if that's going to happen. Now you get rid of Jar- Jarvis Landry, right? His sort of safety blanket. He's gone. <clears throat> can, De- can Devontae Parker truly be ready for a wide receiver one status? Aren't we still waiting for him to break out, too? You know, Kenny still has had some nice moments. You know, as a, a deep threat there. Albert Wilson, Danny Amendola. When did Danny Amendola all of a sudden become uh, this great wide receiver? 
I don't see it. Yeah, I saw yeah. it with New England. I get it. New England makes great wide receivers yeah. or great you know plays that aren't great. I'm not so sure where all of a sudden. Not that I blame Amendola for leaving, by the way. In the football you leave, get the most money possible. He did what he had to do. It doesn't bother me in the least. But I don't all of a sudden see him becoming the next big thing here. We're going to have a great season there. I don't. Tight end, yes, you drafted uh, Gasicki. Maybe he turns out to be something. Maybe he doesn't. Kenyon Drake, I don't, right now he's still a one-year wonder to me until I see more. You know, if he can be that true guy. There's not a star in this offense. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if there's anything near close to a star on this offense. You know, when I say a star, I mean, all right, that may be a heavy term there. Is there even a very good player on this offense? I, I think that that is a very valid question. And I think a, I think one of the problems is, you know, what, again, it's, it's I can't give you expectations. I, I really don't know if I could pin down an accurate expectation for any of the key players involved. I mean, does Adam Gase need to make the playoffs to keep his job? Does Ryan Tannehill need to make the playoffs to keep his job? What, what's going to happen to uh, a Devontae Parker? Why am I not positive that Kenyon Drake is going to be able to hold off Frank Gore? So there's a lot of this that, uh, and I guess a lot of it I do feel is tied in to Ryan Tannehill. And, and of course, that would involve the wide receivers. You mentioned Devontae Parker there. Uh, and typically right now they're, they're being drafted. Uh, Devontae Parker, then you see Kenny Stills off the board, and then Danny Amendola. And honestly, uh, George, I think based on value, again, not based on talent or production, but value of where you got to draft them, I think I might take Danny Amendola of the three. All right, once again, playing the value game with Miami here. Uh, Parker still, I'd probably agree with you. You can get him late. I'm not taking. I, I did, here's the thing: is you know, we played this. I forget who we played this with. Oh, with the Jets. And with Jets, I, even though they have their quarterback situation is just as messy, I felt better about it. Yeah. Yeah. When I think Miami, there's really no one. I'm like, ugh, really? Ugh. There's no one here. There's no one here. I'm dying to get. But Amadok, because you can get him once again, probably double digit rounds. It's almost nothing to lose there. Parker, you're gonna have to pay some for because there, there will be people who believe this is gonna be the year. He'll break out now. Now he's the number one, the most targeted. You know, Kenny Stills is probably a guy who is what he is. You know, scores touchdowns, have some big games. I mean, worthy of a pick, but I don't see him outperforming where he's going to get picked. You know, even though you look at him, what was it, a couple of years now, he's had 15 touchdowns the last two years. Nice. I'll take that. If he can get seven, eight touchdowns again this year, take that in a heartbeat. So he's probably the guy I feel the safest about. But if I were in PPR league, if I'm going to go with somebody who I think might outperform where you draft him, it's probably Amendola. And look, if I had to make the case, right, last year Jarvis Landry got 160 targets. Now, no, is not stepping into 160 targets. Not at all. But of the top three receivers, which were Jarvis, Kenny Stills, and Devontae Parker, it was 160 for Jarvis, 106 for Kenny Stills, and 96 for Devontae Parker. So let's say Devontae Parker gets up to 120 range. And then Kenny Stills also gets up to the 120 range as well. That still leaves another 120 targets on the table. And I don't know if Danny Amendola is going to get to 120, but 90 targets? That's likely on the table for Danny Amendola. So I think based on the value, that's what I see coming in. And again, Jarvis Landry is a significantly better player than what Danny Amendola is. But they clearly use the player who is in that role a lot in this offense. And yes, a lot of it can be talent-based, they're not going to now just turn away from it. It's still something that was built into this offense. So I actually do think while a lot, again, a lot of this is question marks, I like where I could get Danny Amendola. 
And I actually feel kind of good about that situation. Am I, am I overshooting it to say Danny Amendola gets to 90 targets? You might be a bit. Like I said, Amendola is not someone I'm looking to grab. If he's there in the later rounds, the value's there. I can see myself taking him. You know, PPR league, sort of a safe pick at a couple of points here. Uh, a couple of points here and there. But I think the upside is limited, which yeah. is one of, the, one of the reasons why I won't love him. And that's not on Amendola. Maybe that's on the entire offense. You could say the upside is limited for every one of these players. You know, I just don't, I just don't see this Miami offense tearing things up. Mm-hmm. At least not, not in the passing game. Maybe Kenyon Drake is the real deal, and he'll have a nice season. But other than that, I have my doubts. And I guess a big part of this as well could be game script and, and, you know, how good is their defense? Is this a team that ends up running the football more than they did last year? Because they, last year, nobody ran the ball less than them. Only 360 attempts uh, for this offense. And on the other side of this, which with Matt Moore and Jay Cutler being their quarterbacks, fourth in passing attempts as a team with 602 so maybe that is a really good point on, on your part there. Maybe it is an overshoot because maybe those target numbers were so high because they just couldn't they, they just they couldn't find a way to run the football. So if they can find a better balance, and I would like to think Adam Gase wants a better balance than the fourth highest pass attempts and the fewest rushing attempts as a team, that you know th- those numbers for a, a Danny Amendola would get significantly less, and then maybe he only gets to. 65, 70 targets. Uh, so I think that's in play, which then would lead right into the Kenyon Drake conversation. And look, Kenyon Drake last year had double-digit uh, rushing attempts in only five games, his last five games of the season. But he was pretty good in those five games, just under five yards per carry, almost at 90 yards uh, a game within those five games. So how do you feel about Kenyon Drake? Because I think he is a little difficult to peg down, but he should be their lead guy. <laughs> He should be. You know, I agree. He should be the lead guy. I think he's maybe the lead guy of the entire offense. You know, if yeah. he's working, okay, then you can work around him. If he's not working, then the whole offense may end up uh, you know, going down with tubes here. Uh, I, I don't know how – me and Kevin, it comes to this. And this is in all sports, baseball, football, hockey, whatever fantasy sports I play. I don't like to take what I call one-year wonders. That's not to say I don't believe in them. Mm-hmm. I just need to see them do it again before I'll pay that price. And the price on Drake is not—it's not immense, but it's up there, you know. And uh, people are going to believe that he's going to be the next big running back there. I don't know if I believe that. I haven't ranked 18th, you know. I haven't ranked uh, the guys ahead of him and above him: Mixon, Henry, Drake, Geis, Collins, uh, Ajayi, are in uh, are with uh, Drake. I have in the middle of all those guys, so I would take him ahead of uh, Ajayi easily. I would probably take Geis ahead of him. Though right now I have Geis one point behind him. I'm thinking I'm going to change that ranking and put Geis ahead of Drake. <clears throat> Derek Henry, I actually have more faith in than most. Joe Mixon, I'm sort of uh, on the board here. But it comes out to where uh, Drake might have some upside over that because I know Frank Gore's there. But I think Frank Gore is there just to take, you know, eight, ten carries away from him. Mm. You know, the, that that's it. He's not going to be a true uh, you know, 1A, 1C, maybe, maybe even eight to ten. Maybe it's more six to eight touches away from uh, uh, Drake because you don't want to overload the guy. I do think they're going to throw, uh, run the ball an awful lot. My issue is this, though. I should say I think they want to run the ball an awful lot. The problem is I think the defense uh, is not as good as it used to be. Not that it was ever great, but it's not as good now. And they may may have to throw the ball more because of that. And the second half, they may be trailing. So I think that's an issue here. So I like uh, uh, I like Drake, but I, I to me he's around five running back. And I think he's going to go before then. So I don't see myself having all that many shares of him. Yeah, and I think one of the 
The thing is, is, you know, you really said right there. They should run the ball more. Will they? And he should be the lead guy. But will he be? And one of the things with Frank Gore, I mean, look, the fact that he's still going at this point is nonsense. But he is. And one of the things I, I, Mike offered a big concern about, and I don't know if you share uh, this sentiment, is he's worried about Kenyon Drake being a 250, you know, near 300-plus touch type of guy. And maybe he is kind of, you know, better in a committee type of situation. And maybe he'll outshine his committee, uh, you know, committee partner in, in his touches and he might maximize them more than maybe a Frank Gore would. But maybe he is not built for 250 touches. And maybe that number only gets to 200 or, you know, a little under the 220 mark. And then you end up overdrafting a guy not based on talent. But again, it becomes that situation. Is Frank Gore enough of a of a threat to keep Drake away from hitting that 250 mark, I guess would be the big question for them. Now, I want to ask you as well about Mike Gusecki because Adam Gase does like the tight end. At least that's what we've been told. I believe it to be true. And I think that he is a, a talented player. And as you, I, I know we spoke about this uh, a couple of weeks back when we were doing your, you know, a tight end preview. Um, but if there are all of those targets to be replaced by Jarvis Landry leaving, and Julius Thomas last year did see a decent amount of looks, uh, 63 targets, ended up with 41 catches for 388 yards, and he had uh, the three touchdowns in the 14 games that he played for Miami. So... You know, I look at Mike Gusecki. This is a guy that's going undrafted right now. You know, if I end up waiting on tight end, you know, and maybe I end up grabbing two of them and, and I'll play the matchup, is Gusecki a guy that I can target? I mean, probably not. Uh, I don't see him being a tight end one. Uh, this is not going to be a... Uh, they've never... Really, I mean, I understand back in the day when Charles Clay was at the front, we keep coming up with Charles Clay. Tannehill also used Clay in the red zone. You know, so maybe maybe it's more about uh, Clay than the quarterbacks. Maybe Clay's just a very good red zone uh, route runner where he gets open for touchdowns. But uh, Tannehill used him there. So I think Tannehill does like the tight end in that situation. But I don't you – know, can you really rely on these touchdowns if he's not catching a, an overall smattering of balls? Mm. You know, so I'm not going to take him as a tight end one. I, I can't do it. There'll be other tight ends there. Unless there's one hell of a tight end run in these drafts, which I don't see happening. I think Gasicki has talent. I think he's someone to watch. He may be somebody you end up picking up during the, the year to cover your bye week. If your tight end gets hurt, I can see that happening. Mm-hmm. He can be that tight end off the waiver wire. But I don't like. I don't know how you feel. I don't like drafting two tight ends. You know, generally I want to take one. You know, unless there's somebody who slipped that I just like. Like you know, let's just say I, I drafted Evan Ingram in round five, and all of a sudden I mentioned I like Njoku a lot. You know, I'm in round 14, uh, the round right before the kickers and defense is going to get drafted in most leagues. And I see the joke who's there, and I've already got two backup running backs, two backup wide receivers. I'm feeling pretty good. All right, maybe then I take a second tight end. But in most situations, I'm going to want to load up on running backs and wide receivers uh, to make sure I'm covered there. And I won't take that second. And to me, Gesicki is purely a second tight end. You know, if right now, that's not to say he can't build himself up to a tight end one at some point during the season. He very well could. We haven't seen enough of him yet. But to say I trust Tanhill to make him that or I trust Gasicki to become that, no, I don't. Not not right now. So I'm not taking uh Gasicki. And to answer your question about uh you know, Gore, I think Gore is there purely to make sure 
that Kenyon Drake doesn't get 300 touches, that you don't overwear. Because there are very few backs right now that I think could take the pounding of uh, what backs did in the 80s and uh, I'm sorry, the 80s, 90s and above. Very few backs. You know, you look at Ezekiel Elliott's of the world, maybe David Johnson, guys like that, but not all these guys. If they do, they're gonna they're gonna break down. So you need a caddy. You need someone who can do that to make sure these guys don't get overloaded. You probably want someone like Drake to get oh, about 18 touches a game somewhere around there, and that'll be fine. You know, that'll keep them healthy. It'll make sure that you know they don't they they have something left for the second half of the season. So I think that's where you're going at it with this guy. Bottom line is, we, we'll say this again. Other than maybe six, seven backs, everyone has some kind of caddy. Yeah. Either someone that's a running back with it will catch the ball on third down or is a touchdown guy. Hell, some teams have all four of these players. <laughs> you look at Detroit, good luck figuring that situation out. They have one guy for every situation. <laughs> Oh, man. You know, that's why I have uh, your article that you wrote about handcuffs on uh, Roto Expert. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about that next here on the Fantasy Football Frenzy. What running back handcuffs do you have to pay attention to in your drafts? We'll discuss that next here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Here on Fantasy Football, friends, on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. And if you enjoy playing daily fantasy sports, which you have to if you're listening to the program, but you are sick of dealing with professionals using algorithms to select hundreds of lineups and entries, try the Props Builder tool at mybookie.ag. Forget having to create multiple lineups, ditch the hassle of dealing with late scratches, and avoid experts winning 90% of the money. Invest in the players that you want without salary caps. And if you signed up for a new account using promo code F-N-T-S-Y, you can elect an option to receive a 50% deposit bonus with a rollover requirement. It's free money, so no more dealing with the late lineup scratches. No experts to compete against, just you and the prop that you choose. You're in control. So go to mybookie.ag, enter promo code F-N-T-S-Y upon sign-up, and choose your matchups using the Props Builder tool. That's mybookie.ag, promo code F-N-T-S-Y. T-S-Y. And I, and I also want to promo the uh, Roto Experts NFL Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Draft Package, which you can sign up for right now over at rotoexperts.com. George, uh, one of the contributors for that, does a lot of good work. And George, recently uh, you put up uh, your rankings, but you also have up there uh, an article about the, the running back handcuffs. And let's just start here. What is your general feeling uh, around 
handcuffs because you kind of just got into it uh, in the last segment, but you've mentioned a lot that you, you target these running backs in the later rounds because some of them got a hit. So what what is your general feeling around handcuffs, especially when you end up taking a guy really high who might be an injury risk? Do you now feel like you got to get the other guy that would come attached with it? Well, how many true handcuffs do we really have? True. I mean, true handcuffs. A handcuff to me is somebody whose only value is if the starter gets hurt. Okay. That's it. So he doesn't have a value any at any other situation. So uh, what are we looking at? Are you looking at somebody... I'm trying. I'm trying to think of a true, a true handcuff of anybody. And really, nobody's really, you know, stands out to me. Are we talking someone like Chase Edmonds? In case David Johnson were to go down, all right, he might be a true handcuff. Somebody who I would think is just only valuable in fantasy leagues, only going to be drafted as the owner of uh, <clears throat> whoever owns David Johnson, James Conner, no, or Jalen Samuels for Pittsburgh. Maybe they are a true handcuff. You know, so I give you an example though. Those are the guys you can wait to round fourteen. You know, maybe Rod Smith and Dallas, if you're the same thing for Ezekiel Elliott. You can wait till round 14. The problem is that's a zero on your roster unless – just, it's just an insurance policy. You know, yeah. break glass in case of emergency. That's it. You know, I don't like drafting those guys because, you know what, there's a reason. Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott, David Johnson, that they're all pros, great players. It doesn't mean that if these guys were to come in, they're going to be the same player as these guys. Yeah, yes, uh, but Dallas running back would still have value because they're not offensive line, still opening up holes. But, you know, it's not like Rod Smith has the same kind of talent that Elliott has. He doesn't. You know, or James Conner and Pittsburgh. No one can do the same things that Le'Veon Bell does. No one. So I tend to not draft handcuffs. Mm-hmm. I don't because there are so many backs. Once again, we can go through through each team. That wasn't a joke I made before about some of these teams have three, four running backs. Teams, yeah. three or four running backs you can legitimately make a fantasy case for. That means that they'll, have, they'll get you points on a week-by-week basis. It may not be a lot of points. Of course not. But they'll get you points if they're more valuable to me rather than taking a backup. And once again, we're assuming here that you're, you're playing in a league where you, you have five bench spots. That's what I assume here. If you're playing in a league where you have ten, well, that's a little different, or seven or eight. Mm. If, you're, you know, if you're a deep bench, then you can do more things with it. Or if you're playing in a league like the Scott Fishbowl where we have, I think, four or five flex spots, more of these guys are going to be taken because we have the spots to do so. You know, I think the Scott Fishbowl, it's 22 roster spots. And there's no kickers, no defense. So everyone in their mother is going to be taken. Different kinds of leagues. I'm generally talking about your standard league, 16, 16 rounds, uh, one flex, five raw bench. And uh, that, this is pretty much what you're going to do here. I, like I said, I brought up the, the example of uh, Atlanta earlier in the show. You know, where some people, want, most teams don't have a handcuff. They have a running back who's good in his own right, Tevin Coleman. But if I have Devonta Freeman, I'm going to want to get Coleman because I am worried about the injury history with Freeman. I I just can't, there's no way anyone would be able to convince me that Devonta Freeman is playing 16 games. You know, concussion history. You leave with your head as a running back. I don't care about these new rules from Goodell. You're still going to hit in the head an awful lot. Sooner or later, you're getting another concussion. And that and we don't know about concussions, Kev. Is it, in, you know, this is a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, forever? You just don't know. So that's why, for me, if I, if I do draft, Devonta Freeman, I now have to draft Tevin Coleman because I want to make sure I have a starting running back each and every week. Sure, I might get screwed some weeks where I started Freeman and Coleman went nuts, you know, but at least I know I have somebody that could have any of us. It's really when you get down to the teams, you know, I said Detroit earlier before the break here. They have four running backs that, like Eric Blunt, Theo Riddick, Kerryon Johnson, Amir Abdullah. 
I mean, what are they going to do with these guys? Uh, on Johnson's the rookie. Is he a 20-20 guy? Steel Riddick, now the guy ca- carrying the ball out of the backfield, is Blunt the touchdown guy, a short yardage guy, and is Abdul sort of the backup for each of them. Yeah, so what do you do here? What's yeah. more important to you? you know, is it the 20-20, to the safe play? You know, where you get your points, get your, uh, you know, 18 touches, 80 yards, get your, you know, but that's hard because unless he gets the, that 18-yard touchdown run, well, you're not getting a touchdown. That could be Garrett Blunt's job. You know, Theo Riddick's going to catch four to six balls over the uh, over the course of the game for whatever yardage he can get. You know, and generally in fantasy, we hate that, but they're safer plays than someone who you just have no clue about. But so many teams are going with this. They're, this is why, this is the reason why so many running backs get drafted in the first round, because you want the best running backs, the ones who you know are going to get 18, 20 touchdowns, uh, touches a game. Touchdowns a game would be really something. Uh, so that's what, those are the guys you want. That's the reason why. Running back runs out by, by the third round. You're crying at running back because everyone, every running back you're going to look at is like, oh, man, he does this but doesn't do that. You can't get what you want anymore. Let me go from the Detroit running back uh, situation. then. There, there, are, there are a lot of these I want to ask you about. I look at Amir Abdullah as clearly in fourth place here. He's involved in the conversation, but he's clearly in fourth place. And I think here's the problem, though, with the other three, LeGarrette Blount, Theo Riddick, Carryon Johnson. Carryon Johnson is the one guy that has the chance to be the guy, right? Like, if he really, really hits, he would, I guess, have the best chance to phase out the rest of them. But I'd like to make the argument that as long as Theo Riddick is healthy, he's going to be a part of this offense. We've just seen him be too productive in the past game. I'd like to make the argument that as long as LeGarrette Blunt is healthy, he's going to have a role in this offense, it is a skill set of value. It's not an RB1 or an RB2 skill set, but it's still valuable. And carry on Johnson, look, just because we haven't seen him before at this level, I can't guarantee you his role. Because what I know, at least I feel, is that a running back duo of LeGarrette, Blunt, and Theo Riddick have all of the things that you would need from a running back duo. It would be split down the middle. It would still be difficult to figure out, I guess, which one you really want to trust. But they could live without, I think, carry on Johnson. But of those three, he's the one with the highest upside because they've at least flirted with the idea of saying maybe he's a bell cow running back. I I can't disagree with you. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I'd like to uh, <laughs> fight, but uh, I agree. Uh, it's a running back's a mess. It's just, a, and it's going to be so frustrating this year. You know, it's the reason why in, in that draft, uh, the mock I draft I talked about earlier, I said it. I got the running backs in what three of the first four rounds. I waited on wide receiver. It was another sort of strategy because wide receivers deep. You know, you can you can draft wide receivers that you won't mind later in the draft. In the draft, sure, they're not great, but they, you, you won't mind. You'll know the names and you'll know they'll do some damage. Running backs. I'm telling you, man, after round three, it's like, oh, boy. You know, uh, you're, it's almost like we're guessing here. You're playing the, uh, okay, I think he's better than him, but he's, you know, this guy does this. He doesn't. You're picking your poison. Yeah. You well, know, to use one of those puns that Scott loves so much. Let me ask you about the, the backfield that I think the most times I see it, I end up cursing because I don't know what the hell we're doing here, George. It's the Tennessee Titans. And some people might say, well, what are you talking about? These are, these are a pair of guys. You have them, if I'm not mistaken, both ranked as RB2s. And maybe in a perfect world, what the Saints did last year with Alvin Kamara 
And Mark Ingram is something that can be replicated throughout this league. A pair of guys that can finish. I think I think those two both finish as RB1s. But a pair of guys that both of them can finish as RB2s. Maybe that's the case. But they're so close together. If I'm not mistaken, in PPR you have uh, Henry at 18 and Lewis at 20. And I don't know what to do with them, George. I won, I did a best ball. I took them both. I had a turn. I, t- I took the both of them. I don't know what to do with these two guys because there are times where I can see Derrick Henry being the guy. I can see him being the guy. But there are times I think about what Deion Lewis did in New England. He wasn't a third down back. He was a three down back in New England, running between the tackles, being explosive, first and second down carries. So I don't know what the hell to do. And as to your point, this is not a handcuff situation. These are two guys that are going in the first four rounds. This is not a handcuff situation, but it's a pair of guys sharing the backfield. If one of them were to be removed, then the other would end up significantly higher on draft boards. What do you do with these both of these guys around? Well, you're right. Uh, once again, if one were to get hurt, the other one's value well, goes through the roof. I mean, uh, that'd be very good if you own the other guy. The NFL is a copycat league. Yeah. All right? And everyone saw what happened last year with Kamara and Ingram. And so I think uh, teams are going to try and replicate that somewhat, that there is enough room for two running backs. The only difference is, you know, still you need a quarterback like Breeze and get all those first downs, keep the uh, chains moving, and a good defense as well, which Tennessee has. Yeah. And I think with Tennessee, you know, I think they uh, they have Mariota, but I think the Mar- they know Mariota has limits, you know, limits to what, what he can do. He's not the next big uh, quarterback coming down the pike here or anything like that. I also think they realize the passing offense is getting better. Defense is good. We And... I'm cu- when it comes to Mariota, I'm curious about the new uh, coach. The old coach didn't let him run last year. They wanted to protect him, which I understand. You don't want the, the quarterback running gets hurt. You know, he still had some injuries last year, which I think hampered him. But what about the, uh, the new coach now? Will it be the same thing? Will they saw, you know, curtail his running? If they do, well, maybe that's why they're getting into the two running backs there because they want to run the ball more because I think this is a team that's going to win with the running game over short, over short passing game and the defense. You know, they're not going to want to get the shootouts here. You know, the one way of protecting everything. And if that's the case, then there should be enough touches to go around for both these guys to be valuable. Uh, is it, would I want to draft both? Probably not. The starting <laughs> both is a pain in the ass. I mean, you always take the chance that, you know, although we think it could be an, uh, an Ingram Kamara thing, it could also be where it's, it's just one guy that day and the other guy didn't, you know, wasn't in the game plan. You know, that's a problem. Maybe it's a day where they think, oh, you know, throwing the short pass out of the backfield to Lewis is a much better gamble than the short yard you know, the, between the tackles running game with Henry. But Henry has talent. You know, he, you saw it when he played. I mean, they had DeMarco Murray there who was ahead of him. But Henry can play. They're not going to forget about Derrick Henry. Uh, is it somewhat of a gamble? Sure. But as I'll say it over and over again, any running back we're talking about now, you're going to have the same types. It'll be a different gamble, but they're all going to be a uh, gamble in, some, in, one way, in one form or another. You know, so one of the things that uh, that Mike talks a lot about on the show is he feels like the Chicago Bears' love is a little too much. And the people are saying, oh, they're going to be this year's Rams. And I think one of the dangers of that is what the Rams did is not supposed to happen. It's unprecedented. They were the worst offense in football. They then turned it into the best offense in football through some offseason additions and bringing in a young head coach with an absolute brilliant mind. And... For the Tennessee Titans, what we saw the Saints do with Kamara and Ingram was unprecedented stuff. It just isn't not supposed to be able to start two running backs on the same exact team 
and outscore people comfortably because they're both putting up those type of numbers. Well, kind of, as you said, like maybe they can really, if any team were to have the chance to do what the Saints did, look, maybe it's at a lesser level, but you might be able to make an argument that Derrick Henry is at least just as good as a Mark Ingram and Deion Lewis is close enough to Alvin Kamara. Marcus Mariota is not Drew Brees. Nobody is. But Marcus Mariota is an efficient passer and has the ability to keep the chains moving, at least with his legs, if that's an option. They're better at the tight end position than what the Saints were last year. They might not have that true number one like Michael Thomas was, but I know a lot of people have high, very high expectations for what Corey Davis could be. So maybe the same, maybe the Titans rather don't give you a pair of number one RBs. Again, that's unprecedented stuff. But honestly, you know, in a way, maybe that is what we're 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 on our way for. And maybe taking these two guys within the top 20, as far as top 20 running backs, is the actual play here. And it actually it can work out. I'm talking myself into it, George. i got to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm with you. You, you don't talk me into it because I agree. I think both guys have value. I, I wouldn't draft both on the same team, but I have no problem drafting one or the other. It really just comes down to which guy you want, what, maybe what, what kind of league, who's available, when, which guy you think has the best value there. Like I said, for me, when, when in doubt, I tend to go with the touchdown guy. So that's why I have Henry Hoyer because he's a touchdown guy. I don't, I don't have much doubt about that. Yeah. This Tennessee team is a good team. Good defense, good offensive line. Good enough passing game where they should be a threat. I mean, they may be a threat in the entire AFC outside of New England. Uh, I think they are that kind of team where they might just take that next step. And I always bring up the defense because if a team has a good defense, well, that means the offense is going to get the ball. Maybe more often. Maybe in good territory. Maybe not you know, not their own 10-yard. Maybe they get the ball to 30 to 40. Sure field. So I always like to, uh, taking guys when in doubt on teams that have good defenses because I assume they'll get the ball more, especially in the running game. Mm. You know, one thing I worry about teams with good defenses, well, maybe you don't throw the ball as much because you don't want to put that defense in a bad situation. You don't have to. But uh, I think Tennessee is a good squad. I think Henry and Lewis are both RB2s, and I think they'll both pay off for you. I want to I wanna now ask you about um, a couple of true hand. Because, you, as you said, there's not many of them, but there are a few. Uh, and you have one in Dallas, and you have one in New York, uh, with the Giants, that is. And this is probably going to extend to the next segment, so that, that is fine. But I wonder if when you're looking for handcuff, right, or what ends up being the main priority? Because I think most people will tell you Jonathan Stewart is better than Rod Smith. But Rod Smith would walk into a significantly better situation than what Jonathan Stewart were if something catastrophic were to happen to either of those two lead backs. And I guess another equation, it doesn't really apply to either Saquon or Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, Say maybe it applies to somebody like a mm, Melvin Gordon, maybe. He's been a little banged up uh, in his time. Or maybe even uh, we'll, we'll take Dalvin Cook, who's coming off that ACL injury. Are you going to, and we'll, we'll, we'll answer this on the other side because, we're, we're, again, we're getting closer to the break. Do you think that when you're looking at these handcuffs, are you going to prioritize the talent of that backup running back? Are you going to prioritize the situation that they're coming into? 
or is it just the likelihood that they see the field because the lead back has injury concerns? We'll get George's answer to that on the other side as we close out the show here on the Fantasy Football Frenzy on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. Back here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Kevin Walsh and George Hurts. Got to close out the show. I believe it's the Tout Wars Fantasy Baseball Hour that comes up uh, right after us. And uh, George, I did the wonderful job of asking a minute fifty second question with two minutes left to go uh, in that segment. So uh, the abbreviated version, though, of, of what I was saying for anybody who might have just tuned directly into the program is when you're looking for at these true handcuff backs. You prioritize the situation that they would step into, the talent of that running back, or them being behind a running back that is more likely to get injured, and then therefore they have a better chance to get on the field. I think the first thing I'm going to look at is talent. Okay. You know, some backup running backs, really, you can make an argument, should be stars. I mean, Latavius Murray, Minnesota. I mean, they signed him once again before... They signed before uh, they drafted Dalvin Cook. Didn't uh, you know? I've always wondered why Franzi isn't after the draft for that reason. But uh, whatever. So Murray, you can make an argument is much more than just a uh, a handcuff, but it, he really is. Although I think he'll get a smattering, a smattering of carries though. But if I have Cook, yes, I'd want Murray. He's one situation I'd look at. You brought up Giants, Jonathan Stewart, another guy who has something left. He could actually be a decent player, but. He's probably going to be second fiddle all season long unless Barkley gets hurt or you know, it's a blowout or they give him a series here, a series there. But he might be somebody I'd look at. Uh, I, we talked Chris Ivory earlier as far as – because I think he might be the touchdown guy for McCoy. But one guy I want uh, – that right now he's a pure backup. You know, he's not going to – no value, but a guy where if I draft a starter, I want is Dante Foreman. Yeah. I don't know how much more Lamar Miller has left. You know, I think he's pretty close to done, Kev. Yeah, he, was, he wasn't all that good last year. I want to form it takes the starting job one way or the other by week six. So if I draft Miller, I'm getting Foreman. And that's a situation where, you know, one of these later rounds, if Foreman's out there, there's a good chance I'm grabbing it. Even if I don't have Miller, there's a good chance I'm grabbing it because I think he's a worthwhile, you know, once again, mud on the wall shot that maybe by week six he takes over that job and I got myself a starting running back that I didn't draft or I didn't have to draft. I'll tell you quickly the, the Lamar Miller story for myself last year. I, I was in the uh, the GSC league, so you, you know you have the live draft, and there's two live drafts going on. And um, I picked Lamar Miller. I think it was in like the fourth or fifth round. It was early. Um, I don't know. I've always kind of had faith that he would pan out. I was sitting right next to Adam Ronis, uh, and he was just like, ugh, yuck. Like just made me right away feel terrible about the pick. 
And I was like, oh, that's not great. And then I looked uh, across at the other draft, and he wasn't coming off the board. And he gets drafted like the eighth or ninth round. I was like, all right, well, that was a, that was a, that was a bad pick. Uh, I knew that before the season even started. Um, so that's kind of the Lamar Miller situation there. Let me ask you, because one of the, again, a point you drive home within the, within the article here, and, you, and you've done here uh, on the show, and, it, and it's important. There's not a lot of true handcuffs, but there are a lot of secondary backs that are valuable that have to be drafted. One of the more interested secondary backs, because typically, you know, we're just talking about the pass catcher, the third down back, your Tariq Cohen, your Chris Thompson. But that's not what C.J. Anderson is. C.J. Anderson is coming into a situation where the lead back, I guess you would say, or the first one drafted, is typically a guy of a skill set that would be the secondary back in a Christian McCaffrey. And you look at how... Uh, it went last year just in terms of, uh, you know, output and production. Jonathan Stewart as a running back was significantly better than Christian McCaffrey. Had 81 more carries, 245 more yards, and four more touchdowns. Now, obviously, Christian McCaffrey catching 80 passes, having five re- receiving touchdowns and 650 yards is the reason why McCaffrey is where McCaffrey is. But how do you gauge someone like C.J. Anderson where we know this guy is likely headed for 200 carries, but he's the secondary back? He, it's, it's a weird offense, right? Yeah. Uh, because Cam uh, is also going to steal a bunch of I guess he's the himself. third back, right, George? I guess he's the third back because their, their goal line option is Cam. He had the most rushing yards on anybody on the team last year, so maybe I'm not even... <laughs> accurately describing C.J. Anderson. It's probably the hardest thing to, to judge because of what Cam does. You mentioned he, he might lead the team in rushing again. That wouldn't shock me. Uh, he's going to steal some touchdowns. We know that's coming. So it's, it becomes difficult. It's what hurts McCaffrey. Anderson going there hurt McCaffrey. Because without him, without a true, well, I'm not going to call him a caddy, but without a true traditional running back there, McCaffrey would have gotten those carries. It may not have been good for him, I mean, he couldn't have lasted the season, would have gotten hurt, but still, it hurts. I agree. I think C.J. Anderson's, uh, you know, he's not a backup. He's actually the, the, the two starters of McCaffrey and C.J. Anderson. That's how they run their offense. McCaffrey's going to get more of those catches. C.J. Anderson's going to run between the tackles. But touchdowns are going to be tough to come by for either one of them. You know, cause, uh, I made the, you know, the, the comparison earlier. Pretty much, McCaffrey's going to have to catch an 18-yard touchdown pass. Yeah, he's not going to get one-yard plunges, you know, three-yard plunges. That's going to go to C.J. Anderson, or Cam's going to sneak it in. Yeah. So Cam will take, take away touchdowns from both. This is why McCaffrey can't be a running back one. You know, he's a running back two. That's where he is because touchdowns aren't coming, at least not in uh, an abundance there. C.J. Anderson's probably not getting the love he deserves. He's going to get 200 touches. <clears throat> I do think he'll lead the team in rushing. I, I don't know if he gets 1,000 yards. I doubt it. But I think he'll rush for, let's say, 800 yards, you know, and six touchdowns. That has value. You know, granted, if, you, if it wasn't for Cam, you probably could maybe come close to double-digit touchdowns. But Cam's there. You have to know that. So, once again, he becomes in that running back three category. A guy you can pretty much start week in and week out. You're going to get points. It's not like it's going to be a week where, oh, no, Anson didn't play this week. No carries. That's not coming. He's going to play each and every week. There'll be some weeks that are better than others. You know, a lot of it's going to depend on how, what Cam's doing in the passing game to keep those safeties away from the line of scrimmage. But C.J. Anson has value, and people shouldn't forget about him. And I think that this is also why Christian McCaffrey is so strange. Just in, in your rankings alone, again, that people can see uh, if they sign up for the exclusive edge package, 
you have McCaffrey in standard as the 15th running back on the board. That's a little preview for people. Go sign up for the package. You got Christian McCaffrey as the eighth running back in PPR. Top running backs are not supposed to have that drastic of a change between scoring. That is not how that is supposed to be. Sure, Theo Riddick has a, is a big move depending on what you play in. So is Giovanni Bernard. But a top guy like McCaffrey is not supposed to see a seven-spot difference in where he is ranked depending on the scoring format. But he is, and he absolutely should be. And sometimes it, I almost wonder it, which direction should it push me with McCaffrey. Should I be, if I'm playing in PPR, should I be more nervous about this guy because I know that he isn't going to be the lead back for this team? Or on the other side, do I get more excited because it's like, well, maybe all of a sudden he does burst some more running because the baseline value of this guy is he's practically a wide receiver three who plays running back. Well, that's a pretty good way to look at it. I mean, do I see him all of a sudden becoming the bell cow back here? Not unless Anderson gets hurt. And yeah. I said, I don't know if it'd be good for him. And that's I don't know if it'd be good for your too. fantasy team. For all... all right, because what's if he does? I mean, they're giving him, I don't know, let's say six catches a game, and he's also running the ball 12, 14. He's going to get killed. Yeah. He won't have anything left to see. He'll either be hurt the second half or just not the same play because he won't have that burst. He'll be hit too much. He's not, he's not built like that. He's not that type of running back. So sometimes I think uh, us fantasy owners, we need to uh, be careful what we wish for. You know, because if it happens, it may not be the best thing for us. Sometimes uh, less is more. And I, th- I think in this case, that would be it. I mean, they they could always be forced into this situation. But I don't see them doing it on purpose. Not unless they're, like I said, they had no choice. Uh, John uh, Anderson got hurt. There's no one left here. You got to move the ball. Yeah, you're playing for a playoff spot, whatever it might be, close games. And you got to get the play- best player in there. But I think in a perfect world for everybody, C.J. Anderson stays healthy. And this is how they split up the carries. Well, let me ask you then to, to carry off that point. What are the chances that that same sentiment could be offered to Alvin Kamara? He carried the ball 120 times last year. Now, in the first four games of the season, he only had 15 carries, so obviously that did take a nice uptick. Uh, I mean, a lot of his value, I mean, we talk about McCaffrey's receptions. He had 81 uh, uh, receptions last year, did Kamara. But maybe, you know, turning the ball over to him 20 times a game, his high, his high on rushing attempts last year was 12 and he hit that mark three different times so we didn't see him get even to 15 carries so maybe are, are we are we projecting him to do something that's not best for him and then maybe do we need to find who's going to play mark ingram in the in that uh suspension time that ingram is out here because maybe that's also not the best case for an alvin kamara You know, I think you're a valid point. I worry about Kamara a little bit in those far. Because really, uh, Ingram's suspended for four games. But, you know, week six is a bye. You know, so I don't know how much he plays in week five either. So that means you're really getting five weeks of Kamara. You know, and that's a lot of touches they're going to give him, especially once again, these games are close. So I think you have to be very ca- I think the winners will be very careful here. You don't want to overwork this man. But I think also they realize, well, even if we do overwork him, you know, then we get the week five bye. You know, so he gets to get refreshed, and then Ingram's back after that. So we'll be okay either way. 
So I wonder if that plays into it as well. Uh, the bottom line is this. It, it is in the back of my mind what you just brought up, that, oh, man, they may kill Kamara in this first couple of games. But because of how the schedule and how, when Ingram comes back and how everything's situated, it's not going to change my mind. I mean, I, in the leagues I, I've drafted already, I haven't had a chance to get Kamara left. I either have a high pick or a low pick. So uh, either I'm getting a better running back or uh, he's gone already. So I haven't had to make this decision. But I can say with pretty, pretty, uh, pretty high confidence that it wouldn't affect my drafting of him. Yeah, I, 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 he is really the guy of the top guys, right? And you have him in PPR top five. Most people do um, as well. I remember when the Ingram news broke, some people said, is he, is he RB1? I was like, eh, that's a little much for me. Um, but of the top guys, I think he's the one that I am the most worried by because a lot of his production last year was just how efficient he was. I mean, again, to get to 728 rushing yards on only 120 carries, it was 6.1 yards per carry. To also get eight rushing touchdowns on only 120 carries is incredible. And again, I mean, he was so good in the passing game. And, I, and that should remain the same. And if he is as talented as he looked year one, then, I, then you know, the, the concerns should end up being moot. But there's just a lot of what he did last year was because he was so efficient that if that efficiency drops and if – a heavier workload is not something that's best for him. He is of the top guys, the one that is just, he worries me the most, I think. I, you know, the top guy, another question I'm trying to figure out, of top guys, who worries me the most? You know, who, who worries me the most? I'm looking at my list now. I mean, I might go Ezekiel Elliott. If that mm. Dallas passing game is as bad as it looks like it's going to be, once again, play the same game you played before. You're a defensive coordinator. What are you doing to stop Dallas? Eight, nine guys in the box, 11 guys in the box? Yeah. Forced Dak Prescott to beat you with Allen Hearns. I mean, they lost Des Bryant, and they lost uh, Jason Witten. That's what, 73% of their targets from last year? Gone. There's no one to replace Witten. Like Jeff Swain is starting. I have no you know, idea who their tight end is. Jeff Swain. I didn't just make up that name. It's Jeff Swain. All right, it's, it's nobody. It really is nobody. <clears throat> so, I mean, I, you could worry about Elliott. The carries will be there because that, that was going to have to give him the ball. But if you're looking at someone to worry about, maybe it's Ezekiel Elliott as far as the top running backs. The fact that, uh, yeah, once again, there's just not much there in the passing game. Uh, I mean, other than that, I mean, Bell and Johnson, sure, if they, if they, if they hold out, that'll worry me somewhat. Because, uh, you know, it's the guys who hold out, tend to get the calf injuries, hamstrings, groins, something like that. That'll worry me somewhat. Uh, other than that, Kareem Hunt, you want to say new quarterback, what if he's not very good? He goes up to a slow start. His accuracy is off. Once again, teams are playing the uh, the run. The thing is with Kareem Hunt, though, with Sammy Watkins and Tyreek Hill out there, it doesn't matter if the quarterback sucks. I mean, those guys can run four three forties. The safeties have to play up top. They have to make sure these guys don't blow by the corners. So that should sort of free up running room for uh, Kareem Hunt. So I'm not worried about him. I said I think we can make arguments for a lot of guys of why you know play devil's advocate of why you're worried about him. You know Kamara, the other touches, too many touches. Elliott, uh, you know the no passing game. But the bottom line is he's still taking these guys. It's not like because if you go down too far, the talent level drops off too much. Yeah. Even if it's a safer player. The talent level's not there. I mean, Mel I love Melvin Gordon, but you said it earlier. Aaron Eagle is a good pick as a handcuff because Gordon gets dinged up a lot. Maybe not hurt, but dinged up. So uh, it's, it's clearly during games is the most frustrating thing. So maybe that's why yeah, Aaron Eagle is a, a handcuff you would take to Melvin Gordon. 
You know, and the one, one thing with Zeke, though, and I think maybe why of all of those guys, you probably I think people say, oh, he's the safest bet. Sometimes you hear that is if they can't throw the football, I almost wonder if, like, he's just going to be absolutely fine. I mean, if you look at what he did last year, he played 10 games. The Denver game is the worst game that Ezekiel Elliott will probably, I would assume, ever play in his career. Ran the ball nine times for eight yards. That game by Denver is still probably one of the crazier games we've ever seen because then just a few weeks later, the Broncos could not play any type of football. They couldn't stop a nosebleed, but they completely shut down the Dallas run game while it was still at uh, what looked to be the peak of their powers. But if you look at all the games outside of that, 104 yards, 80, 85, 116, 145, 150, 93, 97, 103. He played 10 games last year. If you remove that Denver game, and the Denver game happened, I know what happened, but in those other games that he played, 108 yards a game, and he had nine total touchdowns in the nine other games outside, again, of that terrible game that he played. So Zeke, that's why. Zeke is always going to, I think, for for a while now. Maybe this year changes though. Maybe it does. Maybe, maybe the it ends up really hurting him. Just how poor this passing attack looks like it's going to be. But he just looks like the safest bet. I mean, it's just twenty carries, eighty yards, touchdown every week. It just feels like you can pencil it in. Well, first of all, as a Cowboy fan, thank you so much for bringing this back to my attention. Uh, love relieving games where things didn't go well. Appreciate that <laughs> so much. Uh, I mean, uh, he's going to get, Ezekiel is going to get a truckload of touches. I mean, really. Uh, would 25 a game shock me? No, it really wouldn't. Because, um, you know, I think sometimes we forget, I know we're running close to the end here, but I know sometimes we forget that, you know, coaches are people too. And Jason Garrett has to realize if we don't make the playoffs this year, I'm probably done. In this case, it doesn't matter if I burn Ezekiel Elliott out. It doesn't. You know, I'm done anyway. So yeah. I might as well give it a go for the gold here and give him a million touches a game and see what happens. Le'Veon Bell, same thing. They, Pittsburgh, if they don't sign up to a long-term contract, they know damn well he's probably gone through the season. They don't care if he gets 400 touches. You know, they won't. They're just going to feed him, feed him, feed him, feed him, feed him. Let his next team worry about him breaking down. Uh, we forget about that, the uh, sort of the human element of coaches who don't really give a crap. What a perfect note to end it on. That will do it here for us on the Fantasy Football Frenzy. Thank you to Sean Engel. For George Kurtz, I'm Kevin Walsh. That'll do it for us here, but stay tuned to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.